and probably everybody's had this this feeling out there when time slows down things are almost in slow motion and your mind is working so fast and processing so well man i remember coming back to the sideline like, you know you made a great play and they're like what'd you see there and i'm like well you know at the snap i saw the cornerback back up over here then i snapped the ball and the safety came down boom i saw tyreek running this and i hit like you know what i'm saying like that well then you watch that real time you're like well that all happened in half a second you know but on the field in the moment when you're locked in that that, that happens slow like that and I do think it comes from, and this is something that absolutely, once I have become far more self-assured and you know comfortable in my own skin, knowing that my best was good enough, right? And for me, and for me, echoing that to my teammates became a priority. And I would do it all the time. And oftentimes I was talking to myself just as much as them, as these young guys, but like, you don't need to do anything extra, right? Like there's nothing superhuman you need to go do today as we're getting ready to go play this game. Like you just need to go to your job and embrace being yourself, even your style of leadership, your personality, like embrace that, you know, letting your personality show. Don't try to be anybody else. Hi, I'm Chris Whiteout. Welcome to Living It, the podcast where we join experts in the experience of being human. Be bold. Say yes to adventure. Say yes to living it. Welcome to Chris Whiteout Living It, where we talk with experts in the experience of being human. We've got a guy who is most definitely human in this one. Alex Smith was the number one pick in the NFL in 2005 by the San Francisco 49ers. He went to three Pro Bowls, 16 years in the NFL. This is kind of interesting. Graduated from the University of Utah with a degree in economics in two years. One of the most gruesome injuries and one of the most amazing comebacks in the history of the NFL. He also started the Alex Smith Foundation dedicated to giving foster youth the tools and resources to transition into adulthood. Alex, welcome. Chris, thanks for having me, man. Look forward to talking. This is so cool to have you in here. I really appreciate you joining us. You know, as I was doing my research, I was thinking about, you know, it just, it, I mean, there are just so many different parts of what you're doing. And an amazing football player, amazing recovery, uh, success, all this stuff. But as you were growing up, did you have goals that were from, from like 40 years plus? And, and I think there's a right answer. I mean, in some ways, it feels like there's a right answer. But as I was looking at it, I felt like for me, so much of it was front loaded. Like it was, it was the sports stuff. And then the rest of the stuff was sort of this amorphous kind of like fairy tale, like, all right, and then life is good afterwards for you did you look at what life might be like after 40 years old not that you're there yet right no when I was a kid I don't think I probably imagined yeah being an older adult you know certainly you you I think I you dream about being in your prime you dream about what you're going to go do and accomplish in your life and uh you know obviously like most kids those are usually like big things big ideas um I don't know if I, I imagined, yeah, what life would look like after 40, what type of dad I would be, you know, what kind of husband, what kind of person, you know, obviously I think what I would even be doing at that point. Um, so no, to answer your question, no, my, my distinct goal, you know, I, I never, I never thought I would play professional sports. Like I never, I was the kid, I think that was almost too realistic. Um, you know, I, I knew, I knew the odds, um, you know, and I'm like, that's, well, it's not going to be me. Um, I did have a small goal as a kid that, that, that I wanted to play. I wanted to be a college student athlete. I wanted to play college sports. Um, 
you know, I didn't know what sport that was. I played a ton of sports growing up. Certainly football was, was a love of mine and I grew up in a big football family, but that was kind of my goal. I, I loved the idea of the student athlete. I loved the idea of being part of something bigger than yourself. Um, I loved the really, like for me, Saturday mornings were so special watching college football and the relationship between uh, the student section and the guys on the field and playing for them and the band. And like, I just, everything about that atmosphere was something that I wanted to uh, be a part of. And so that was it. I, I mean, I, I think beyond that, I didn't have any crazy, I didn't, I had a lot of interests. I didn't, I hadn't narrowed any of them down yet though. I didn't know what I wanted to study. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I really liked school. I liked learning. And, and beyond that, like I said, I was just kind of um, enjoying the process. Your father was a football coach, right? But he was he he wasn't your football coach in high school, was he? So so my dad was a longtime football coach who then got into administration. Um, so he was a high school principal for almost thirty years, and he was my high school principal. Um, he was a doctor of education, um, obviously highly highly educated himself, and so it would be an understatement to say that that education wasn't a high priority in my house. You know, growing up. And so there was this great balance. And I think that goes hand in hand with what I've talked about being a student athlete. Yeah, yeah I have my dad who, who played uh, college football himself and coached a long time, but um, certainly it wasn't something that was ever put above your education. Um, it was really kind of a, you know, a privilege to be able to do both. Um, but certainly school came first and, and it was always had to be kind of, that privilege had to be earned, so to speak, in the classroom. So yeah, it was, uh, I think that's kind of where the foundation of, of my beliefs in both those kind of came from, come from my dad. So that's interesting. Back to my original question, in some ways, it was, you, you didn't really plan for, because sports are weird, right? Sports are weird where you have to plan to have another career after you finish your yeah, career, yep. because it's going to end sometime in your 30s. If you're lucky, it's going to end in your 30s. Yeah. And, and then you move on to whatever's next. But for you, I mean, it's kind of interesting. When did you know that, hey, I might have a chance to do this. I might have a chance to go like division one football. And then there might be a stepping stone to whatever's next. Because you went number one. So something happened along the way somewhere. Yeah, it did. Certainly. And I think it wasn't overnight. It was a process. I mean, to flash back to my high school experience, you know, I, I didn't play football till high school and my freshman year, I played freshman football. I was, I was just, I mean, I was like five, seven and a hundred pounds. I was one of the slowest guys on the field and no one, there were no expectations. I mean, I wasn't the kid that like, Oh, that, that kid, he's going to go play division one football one day. Like no one, no one was talking about that, about me. You know, I barely made the high school team. And so, but there was a lot of freedom in that. And I loved, I loved football and I loved playing. So I didn't really care anyway. Um, I played quarterback. I, I played time. quarterback. I played yeah. quarterback. My old, my older brother played quarterback, so I naturally wanted to, okay. um, you know, play the same position. And then my my again my sophomore year I played JV. I mean, not a standout at all. And it really, but again, I kind of had this dream. I was working towards it, and I was really kind of a late bloomer. And my junior senior year, I played on varsity, and and. Uh, I think that's when I started to have get the self-confidence that I could do it, you know, really where it like it, it embedded deep down in that, like, I think I can go play division one football. And I really wanted to find out the answer to that. Right. I thought I could, 
and I was really determined to go find out the answer. So I was fortunate enough to play for a great high school program. My, my high school running back happened to be a guy named Reggie Bush, um, who was pretty good. And, <laughs> and, and naturally, we ran the ball a lot. So I did a lot of handing off. Well, it was kind of a blessing and a curse because, you know, with Reggie, we had a ton of college recruits on campus all the time. I and mean, he was one of the most, I mean, highly recruited players in the country. But at the same time, I didn't throw the ball, so I couldn't get recruited. Like, I literally, I think I averaged like six passes a game my senior year. So I, long story short, I ended up getting one scholarship offer. I mean, I'm, you know, one, and it's the University of Utah. And on the, the you know, the flip side of this coin, I had done really well in school. Uh, and so I, I got into a, a several Ivy League to go play and, and to play football. Okay. Um, but they don't, they don't give scholarships, and it's one double A, which is awesome. But, I, again, like I said, I, like I had this itch that I was like, I think I can play Division One football, and I really kind of wanted to find out. And here I had this one school, the University of Utah, offered me, and I was very familiar with, um, with Salt Lake and that entire region. And so I tripped up there. I loved it. And, and uh, I, I mean, I remember as crazy as it was, at home I'm like talking to my parents um and I'm like I think I'm I'm going to Utah I think I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to Princeton and Harvard and Dartmouth or Penn like I'm, I'm going to Utah you know and and uh looking back obviously kind of a crazy decision I mean I'm certainly my both my parents but especially my mom had a hard time with it at, at, when I was making the decision and so again here not zero aspirations when I'm 18 year old 18, 18 years old and I go up to Salt Lake kind of living my dream you know, I, I wanted to be, I wanted to see if I could play division one football. And, and, and here I am, I'm getting to be a student athlete at this amazing school. And I'm kind of just living, living every day, loving it. And again, no, no expectations on me. Like when I got up to campus again, it wasn't like, Oh, that kid's going to play pro football. <laughs> like, no, I mean, I was this completely unheralded, uh, you know, unrated, no star recruit that, that went up there. And so, I say that again because there was a lot of freedom in that just every day. I just kind of made the most of every day. There were no expectations on me. I just loved, um, again, what I was doing. And I was, I was completely in the moment every single day. Like I wasn't thinking about tomorrow. I wasn't thinking about a pro career. And, um, again, just was, was trying to find and, and reach my potential. And then the great, yeah, go ahead. I mean, the bizarre yeah, thing it's, was. It's interesting you talked about the, the Ivy League side of things. Because had you gone to the Ivy League, you would have played against Ryan, Ryan Fitzpatrick, I, yep. right? Who yep. went to yep. Harvard, who, yeah. who, you know, had a long career in the NFL and is still going, I believe, right? See, we're the same draft year. Yeah, that's what and I'm saying. I, you guys I, are the same yeah. draft year. So I, I left, I, you know, I retired after my 16th year. The only other two quarterbacks still playing were, were Ryan and Aaron. And right. so Ryan, yeah, 17 years. So Ryan made 17. Uh, we'll see if he plays another one. He and I are, are really good friends. And yeah, and crazy enough, not only would we potentially played against each other, we potentially would have been on the same team, you know, which would have, which should have been crazy. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, the, 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 you know, you, you would never have thought that, right? Like, and how many kids go to the Ivy leagues and end up thinking they're going to have a 17 year pro career. And obviously uh, Ryan pretty, pretty unique in that regard really unique and just seems like a really unique guy and and two of you in some ways similar kinds of paths too I think we'll get to some of this just in terms of in terms of being really efficient but not necessarily highly touted and and sort of 
easier to, to, to move to somebody else when, when you guys might well be the best decision. So we'll, we'll talk, we'll talk more yeah. about that right. as, as, as we get on. Uh, but when, when, so in college, so you went to college and you played for Urban Meyer in, at Utah, right? Yeah. So uh, he's not who recruited me though. Um, a coach named Ron McBride was the coach that recruited me to Utah and we didn't have a very great season. This is my freshman year. I mean, I've only been on campus a few months and the coaching staff gets fired. And so here I am, I, I took this, you know, kind of leap of faith to go up there and figure this out. And the season season went south. It wasn't very fun. I ended up, I was redshirting. I blew my redshirt on seven plays. So I'd lost this year of eligibility. It wasn't very productive for me. Um, what do you mean so you hard. blew your, your eligibility so I, in seven plays? Yeah, so I was redshirting to begin the year. And back then, they have different rules now. But if you play at all, midway through the year, um, they decide to make a, a quarterback change. And so me and one of the other quarterbacks, you know, kind of competing for the job. And they elected to take me out of my red shirt, kind of with the promise that I was going to play every game. I was going to get a bunch of playing time and experience. And that would be the trade-off. You know, of course, when you're 18, I'm like, sure. Um, and so, but it ended up obviously with the coach's jobs on the line that ended up being a total of seven plays, one of which was a pick six back in San Diego against, you know, my entire high school there against the, the San Diego state Aztecs. So it wasn't, it was not as, I mean, to call it, I mean, it was, a, it was a terrible freshman year. It was bad. I mean, on all accounts as a team and, and from my experience, you know, investing so much in, and then I, you know, really felt like you kind of got taken advantage of, or, or kind of a victim potentially to the situation. Obviously, the coach's job's on the line; they're trying to win games, and you know, they're not really worried about a freshman's playing time at that point. But yeah, burn, burn my year. So there goes my freshman year. Now I'm, you know, uh, but I'm still at this point kind of wondering if this was the right decision I made. Uh, you know, transferring was always potentially a, a, a an option. You know. And then we hired this no-name coach from a school I'd never heard of, Bowling Green, this no-name coach named Urban Meyer, who came in and, had, and he was running this system where the quarterback runs the ball 25 times a game. And at this point, I mean, I'm, I'm 6'4", and maybe I'm 175 pounds uh, soaking oh. wet. And I'm, not, and I'm not an athletic quarterback. I'm a drop-back kind of stiff. Uh, QB and and so this yeah Urban's coming in with this unique system and you're like man is this, where's this gonna go um, and obviously it was uh, you know for me ended up changing changing my life you know yeah no so yeah. you were saying you're saying your freshman year but you started as a junior you said as well academically yeah right? so academically I came into Utah as a junior it was crazy I remember sitting in the, the our counselor's office. I'd taken a bunch of AP tests when I was in high school and I knew I'd, I'd scored well on, on, you know, a number of them. And so was anxious to see how many the school accepted, you know, and it's kind of a school by school basis based off your scores and the test uh, itself, like what subject it is, whether or not they take them. And so I remember sitting in the council office, like, well, how many, you know, waiting for the info to come in and it ended up being like 64 credits. And I was officially a junior um starting that that freshman my freshman year and so it was like wow I mean it was great I remember obviously not not expecting that at all uh, but yeah all of a sudden I had to pick a major I mean I had like that 
that first semester, um, I had to pick a major because I was going to begin, obviously, uh, I was done with my undergraduate at that point, as far as far as my, um, you know, general, general study stuff goes. So picked economics and it started that, but I was a, so I was a junior in school. I was a freshman athletically from a, um, and how many years did you, did you, uh, compete for the school? So I played, I played three total years okay. at Utah. So, and I have four years of eligibility. So I had completely, you know, my last year, I, I was under the assumption I was coming back. I never thought I would leave early and give up a year of eligibility uh, to go play pro football. That was crazy. So no, I, I ended up graduating. I got my degree in economics in two years. I started my master's um, in economics and was, um, you know, obviously completed a full semester of that before I elected to leave uh, school. So crazy, crazy that two and a half years after you know, I was an 18 year old and one school offered me, um, you know, two and a half years later, I was electing to come out. I still, <laughs> I mean, I was such, again, such a late bloomer physically. I, I still feel like I was kind of just figuring out my body at that point. Uh, still kind of clumsy in a lot of regards. And yeah, here I am. I'm, I'm going to train for the combine and, and, you know, to play pro football and go to the NFL draft and um, never would have imagined it in my wildest dreams uh especially at that point in my life but uh you know obviously it, it uh you know kick-started a journey for me that again it's obviously been incredibly magical and, and life-changing and um you know looking back on it every draft year you know we just had the draft it's always kind of brings back a lot of memories uh, about that time in my life so had you filled out i mean you said you were six four like 175 when urban had you run in 25 so, and you're like I'm, so, used to, yeah. I'm used to handing off to reggie bush he's the guy who yeah. runs i don't i don't run urban once i had kind of you know that next year there was a quarterback battle and and uh you know the starter brett elliott ended up breaking his wrist and it kind of gave me the the job um this was really early on in the season but yeah, I, I kind of became the starter. No, I still ran the ball a lot. And Urban was on this mission to, Urban and Dan Mullen were on this mission to have me gain weight and get bigger. Because, you know, hey, I'm a 6'4 kid. I should weigh 230 pounds, you know? Right. And oh, I would, like, in the weight room, you know, obviously I was, uh, you know, I trained really, really hard. I'd have, I'd have strength coaches eating with me that constantly would make sure I was eating more. There'd be this, you know, I couldn't leave the weight room until I drank so many shakes, protein shakes. Like, I remember, like, you know, the point where you're nauseous and vomiting and, like, it just was a disaster. You know, like, I couldn't leave until, like, I had gained so much weight on, because they'd have a scale right there. So you'd have to weigh in and be like, oh, you weighed, you know, you weigh 193 pounds. You're not leaving here until you're 195 kind of thing. And you'd be, like, drinking these metric shakes back in the day until you weighed one. <laughs> it was just, like, brutal. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it was, I, it was definitely a, a focal point for me to try to gain weight, but never ever was real successful at it all the way through my professional career. I just, you know, eventually I obviously kind of gave up that this is my body. I'm, I'm always going to be a little bit leaner. Uh, I'm never going to weigh 230 pounds. Um, it's but, probably uh, a good thing now. Yeah, it's great. And when well, it was fine for football, I just, you know, I, I, again, there was always this mold once I, especially there that turned pro, they're like, well, you this is what quarter, this is what quarterbacks look like. And you've got to look like this, right? Like this is the mold. Um, and when I came into the league, that still kind of existed that, that 
you know, pro prototypical pro style quarterbacks in a pro offense. This is what they look like. Even over the arc of my career towards the end, it's obviously I, it's been fun to watch and see that all get broken. Um, you know, and, and now that, that, you know, offenses have changed and there is no more kind of pro style offense guys are playing all kinds of uh, aggressive shotgun spread out uh, quarterbacks that with all kinds of skill sets and, and tools and, and, and letting them use in them. So it's uh, even over the arc of my career to see that change uh, was great. And it kind of also a little bit telling, like I felt like when I first entered the league, I, I had to be this other type of quarterback to prove that I belong. And it took several years to kind of like, Hey, wake up call. Like, well, no, I can just, I can play my own style. You know, I can be my own type of quarterback and, and uh, it took several years to kind of learn that and get comfortable with that though. You know, uh, when you're young, uh, you're heavily and easily influenced by, by kind of, a lot of the noise out there. Well, it also, I mean, your career went from, you weren't highly touted in high school. You got recruited by one school. You, you, you became the starter because the starter broke his wrist. Yep. Yep. And, and then, and then you go number one, and then you go to San Francisco, which had a fairly decent history of quarterbacks yeah. recently. I mean, Joe Montana, Slight, slightly. Yeah. yeah. So, so uh, you talked about in your TED talk that that Jim Harbaugh said something that sort of opened things up for you and allowed you to play. What was that, and why why did you need it? Yeah, well, to go back when when I was in college and playing, like you know, Urban had come in and we were on a roll. Again, I never thought about playing pro football. I was loving every day of this, and it was literally kind of what I was dreaming college football was like. Like I loved. Like the, the culture of the atmosphere was all about the team, team first. And we were, a, you know, and back then Utah was in the Mountain West. We were this small school trying to do bigger things. And it was a bunch of kids just like me that like dreamt that they could. And, and people, a lot of people told them they couldn't. And so uh, we went on this incredible run and we're the first school to break down the BCS. You know, we went undefeated and, um, you know, went on to the Fiesta Bowl and, and beat Pitt pretty handedly. And it was just this amazing experience. And I lived every day again, not thinking about tomorrow. I wasn't thinking about a pro career. And when I played on the field, I played with that kind of edge. Like I played overly aggressive, um, trying, trying to make the play. Like, I mean, we were determined, we, we, we were kind of egging on when we could play the big schools and we got to play the Oregon's, the Michigan's, the, you know, like we, we wanted that because we, we were out to prove something. And so we, we all played with that kind of an edge. Well, fast forward, all of a sudden, you know, I like to come out. I, I, I get drafted number one overall. I'm, in, I'm on the front of every newspaper in the country. And I go to the San Francisco 49ers. He's, you know, a, a, a team probably uh, steeped in great quarterback play. And I was 20. I mean, I was literally 20, year old, 20 years old when I got drafted. And so all of a sudden, I never dealt with those kinds of expectations ever. Not from the outside, not even internally. And I struggled with it for a long time. I really struggled. I tried to be perfect. Like out of practice and on the field, I literally felt, I felt like I had to be perfect. I felt like I couldn't make any mistakes at all, um, even the slightest. And you can imagine, so going out to try and play professional football as a rookie or as a second player, and I like you're tiptoeing around trying not to screw up. I mean, you're playing with the best athletes in the world. Going out there with that kind of mindset, you, you just set up to fail. And, and I did. I, my first several years were incredibly inconsistent. Um, and like Montana ups. back in the day, I mean, they used to say about like Montana that in practice, the ball never touched the ground. 
Yeah, I would hear that all the time too. Like, you know, like that, that and so you're, try, you're trying to achieve this perfection. And I remember just like, you're out there, your mindset goes the other way. You're out there literally like, I can't let the ball hit the ground. I can't, I, and so you're, I'm aiming every pass. I'm trying to be perfect. Like I, you're just never, that's just so unrealistic. And it's not how sports should be played. And that's not how you compete either, right? I mean, again, to go out to the heart of competition, you gotta go out there and cut it loose, right? I mean, obviously, as a quarterback, there's a lot of processing and thinking and decision-making that goes into that. But, but really, it should always be to go out there and, and, and make the play, right? Try well, to I, succeed I, I, as opposed yeah, to I, fail. I, yeah. spent, I spent the first, you know, four years of my career doing the exact opposite. Like, and I was so consumed with what people thought about me. I was so determined to prove that I was worthy of this pick. And I wanted to justify it so bad that, that it almost – I became literally my own worst enemy. Um, it consumed me. Um, and then, you know, that, that, again, that self-doubt, like that imposter syndrome, do I really, did I, was I really deserving of the number one pick? Did I belong there? Uh, that always kind of sat in the back of my head too. And yeah, and a lot of it changed, um, with, with, when Jim came in, honestly, here's a guy that had a long career playing quarterback in the NFL. He played my position. Now he's coaching. He'd had a bunch of success, success coaching, and he embodies that kind of that the flip side of that coin jim really doesn't care what anybody thinks about him right um at all and i mean that in the in the best of ways like and for me here i was kind of consumed with it and, and, and a guy comes in and he was a great example for me of that like well well like i i kind of that looks pretty good over there i've been trying it this other way you know mentally and this is not a great way to live life at all I don't care what you're doing, let alone trying to play professional uh, football, play quarterback. And so Jim really kind of was that example. And I do give the, I do give that saying, he would say before every game, every single game, he would say it. And I remember the first time he said it, like, oh, like I, I'd never heard a coach say, don't worry, you know, right. like play as hard as you can and as fast as you can, as long as you can. And don't worry, you know, and I felt like he was speaking directly to me. Um, cause I was worrying too much, like, you know, here, right before kickoff, those were a lot of, oftentimes the, the hardest moments for me leading up, you know, you play once a week. So as you get closer to Sunday, the intensity just ratchets up and, and pregame is probably when it's at its height. And I was probably in my head the most, you know, wondering, Oh God, what if this happens? Am I going to screw up? What, I mean, like, am I going to play good? You know, you're worried about all these things that, again, have nothing to do with you going out there and doing your job. I really kind of was distracting myself uh, with my own internal monologue. I wasn't allowing myself to focus, which to do anything great requires tremendous focus. And so I really had become my own worst distraction. And then all of a sudden here I had this coach that's like, I felt like really talking to me in that, in that regard, you know, don't worry, stop worrying, go play, you know, focus on what you need to do. And, and again, as he also made it, so great as a quarterback that I, I really felt like it wasn't all on my shoulders. Uh, sometimes I had felt like that, like I had to, I had to shoulder the load. Whereas when I was in college playing at my best and even at the NFL, like really as a quarterback, you're kind of the point guard. You're just the distributor of the football. And if the, if it, if the play tells you and your rules tell you to throw it over here, you throw it over here. If they tell you to chuck it deep, chuck it deep, but you don't, you don't force it. And uh, with that, with Jim, I really felt like I kind of got back to that. Where like, there, there's a calmness in that, you know. Like, just go do your job. If if they tell you to throw the flat route, throw the flat route. You know, if the defense tells you, you know, and and I could just go do that. Um, 
so the, I think the combination of that really did kind of help change my career. Because uh, at that point, it was really uh, sink or swim kind of territory for me and my career, you know, at that point. I, I'd be lying if I said the word bust didn't just sit in the back of my head uh, yeah. at that point. You but know, you started to perform me. like a number one then. Though. Yeah, but yeah, so you know, finally, and and uh, and it was amazing. It was like, yeah, obviously, again, it was like I felt like I'd been through so much turmoil personally, and uh, as a team, we had so much dysfunction. You know, my first years in the league. You know, when you get the number one pick, you go to the worst team in football, <laughs> and we'd had like regime change and trying to build new co culture and hadn't had any success with it. So I'd been a part of a lot of turnover. Um, and not a lot of stability early on in my, in my career. And, and Jim really kind of, and his staff really provided that uh, for me for the first time. And yeah, it finally took off, finally started playing good and felt like I was headed towards reaching my potential finally, you know, and it felt great to, to play with that level of consistency, to be accountable to your teammates, um, you know, was, was, a, was an amazing you know, feeling. Yeah. Well, it's interesting also, I mean, you started, to, yeah, you did the, the accountability with the teammates, you were the leader, you know, you, you say the point guard, but you were leading the team and the team was getting better and yeah. you were getting better and you were, you're what, you were ranked uh, third, third ranked Q in, in QB rating, in QB ranking and number one in, in percentage, right? You, yeah. 70% yeah. of your passes, like yeah. you really, you really weren't letting the ball hit the ground in yeah. games when it yeah, mattered. And Jim, this guy who opened it up for you, then was the guy who said, yeah, yeah, you're doing that, but then we're going to bring this other guy in. I mean, yeah. it, granted, yeah. you had a concussion and stuff like that, but the door opens. How, how is that the guy who gave you your opportunity all of a sudden isn't the guy who's giving, who's continuing to give that, that opportunity or continuing to believe in you? Yeah, it was tough, you know. That first year with Jim, we went to the NXT Championship game. We were on the doorstep of the Super Bowl. Um, you know, felt like in a lot of ways we should have been there. And so here we are kind of – this was the first time I was having the same offense for two years in a row. It was Jim's second year, and I was like, obviously, yeah, here we go, finally, year two of an offense. Let's go take this to the next level. Obviously, we had a great team. Yeah, and I led, I led the NFL that year. I mean, through however many games it was, 10, 11. Um, and, yeah, in a bunch of categories. And feeling like, again, like I'm just starting to, to ascend and finally like reach my potential and play, you know, where I had thought about going as a, as a football player. And yeah, boom, all of a sudden a concussion and, and, and flipped for me. And, you know, obviously Cap came in and went on a historic run. I mean, those, those first, whatever, seven, eight games of, of Cap's career, I mean, really were like meteoric. I mean, he, yeah. there's still holds, he still holds records uh you know from that run and, and then we go to the super bowl i got a captain c on my chest you know still and i'm standing on the sidelines you know and it just uh you know a crazy turn of events how how quickly you know life can change and that can be taken away from you and, and it was a, an amazing learning experience for me because again here i was prior to that i'd been the number one pick a team heavily invested in me i'd had a very rocky start to my career but I've been given lots of chances, right? Like I, more chances than most. The, un, the undrafted free agent wasn't getting as many chances as I got, right? I mean, just naturally. And so it, it had taken several years and I finally found my footing and I felt like I was, you know, again, ready to go. And then boom, it gets, it gets kind of pulled out from under you or under you. And so 
for me was such a great reinforcement of like, again, what a privilege it was, right? On the flip side of that coin, the early on in my career, it, it, it Were you able to so see that in the moment? The, the great privilege. I mean, and the cap you're talking about is Colin Kaepernick, right? Who came in. Yep. Yep. Colin Kaepernick. And so for me, again, I, early on in my career, being a starting quarterback was uncomfortable in the NFL because there was so much weight and expectations with it. And it, and I really had such, again, going back to that, I, I had such a bad mental attitude toward it. Like I was trying to be perfect. I was like, I didn't, I didn't really embrace it, you know? And so then all of a sudden, here I was, I played, I was starting to play well. And then, yeah, Colin gets the job and takes off. Well, it was, well, it was again for me that I, I was determined that if I did get another opportunity and I was confident that I would, I didn't know when or where, um, but I was going to make the most of it. Right. And it was that this was a privilege. I didn't know how long this was going to last. I didn't, you know, but I wasn't going to be distracted anymore by myself, by anybody else. I, I was going to be locked in and go run with this thing. Um, as long as and fast as I could, you know? And so I, I, it really did reinforce that for me. So yeah, then I'll, again, you know, we obviously lost a heartbreaker in the Super Bowl, um, and I'm on the trading block and I get traded to Kansas city who again is the worst team in football. They have the number, they have the number one pick. They won, you know, two games or something the year before, but, uh, again, part of a, a, a culture change, you know, Andy Reid coming in and he, he trades for me. Um, and that was it. I was determined because based off everything that happened, I was going to go again. I wasn't going to be distracted by anything, especially myself. And I was going to go run with this opportunity for as long as I could and make the most of it. And so I think all those experiences, the eight years prior to that, the good and the bad, um, really helped me teach all those things. That I, I think to get to a great, healthy place where like, I confronted and embraced being a starting quarterback now, like Sundays were like, I'm not going to get to do this forever. I'm going to make the most of it while I can. And isn't this amazing that 30, there's only 32 guys in the world to get to do this. And I'm one of them and it's hard. It's incredibly hard, but I think I'm up for it. You know? And then like, that was such a different mindset to where I started my career, you know, shying away from it and didn't like when I was having all that doubt and trying to be perfect and wondering if I belonged, that was something that I, I didn't, I thought I was the only one going through it, you know, in the locker room at that point. And I kind of buried that. I buried it. And I tried to pretend like it wasn't there. Um, well, it's funny. You start playing long enough. And I played around enough teammates, a bunch of Hall of Famers. You realize, like, no, everybody deals with it. Everybody has that voice. The good ones confront it and move beyond it. Right? Like, they don't, like, no, this is really hard, what we're trying to do. Of course, it's naturally you're going to make mistakes. And, yeah, we all have self-doubt. But, like, those guys were able to move beyond it. And again, lock into what they had to do at a better level, right? Like the focus on the details at a higher level. And so, um, yeah, really kind of, and then, and then for me, again, that, that five-year run in Kansas city only, only solidified that even more. It was the best years of my career. Um, well, you went from the, you, know. you went to the worst team again. So second yep. time to the worst team and built that team back up to the precipice again. And uh, then there's Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it happened all over again. I mean, we went in Kansas City and won our first nine games. We were the worst team in football the year before, and we won nine straight, went to the playoffs that year. We went to the playoffs four out of my five years there. You know, I went to three Pro Bowls. And it was, again, I still felt like ascending. You know, I got, I get, yeah, I, I, at that point, I think I finished my 12th year in the NFL, but I was still only 32, like, because I was so young when I got drafted. 
I mean, I still, I, I felt like I could have played 10, 12 more years at that point, just the way my body had felt and, and where I felt like I still was playing my best football. And yeah, then all of a sudden we, we move up in the draft and, and draft, you know, obviously Pat. Um, and for me, that was at that point, a big test for me again. How was I going to deal with that? And, and uh, you know, I remember distinctly thinking like, yeah, here's this, we drafted this kid first round, a ton of media noise about it, right? Like, is he going to take my job, the competition? What does this say? I'm constantly getting asked about it. Um, could I eliminate all those distractions? Was I going to look over my shoulder, right, while I'm trying to be a starting quarterback? Or like, again, could I block all that out? Could I eliminate all those distractions and go play football? And, and I knew we had a great opportunity in front of us. We had a great team. Um, and Is that the game in a lot of ways? I mean, the game of yeah. like just being able to focus, just being able to have that tunnel vision, block out all of these distractions and do your job, do the thing and, and really support your team as well, right? Yeah. To, to yes. put your teammates in the best position to be successful. Yeah. And, and I think that is that easy anything. enough, like simple enough in your mind to say, this is my job. The other stuff isn't. I mean, I felt like I had got, I got there and it was something that I, I really felt like I practiced that kind of a, you know, that kind of a mindset. Is, and I did it. I did the same thing when I came home and was a dad, like, I don't want to be distracted there. Right. Like I, I think to be, to, to be in the moment, right. To not for me so often, I was always, you know, if you're in your head and you're in, you're drifting off some other place or your self-talk's taking you some other place. Like, so for me, it football is where, yeah, that, that was my process with football, but I think that process is the same for anybody trying to do something at a high level, right? Like it, it takes a high level of focus um, to, to do anything great or hard. And so. What did you um, have to do in order to be able to to focus in that way because it's because it's not like it's just a switch that you flip is it it's not just like oh okay no i need no. to focus i need to i need no. to do this i need to focus and when i'm at home i need to be present when i'm on the field i need to be present it's yeah. it's it, are there any practices that you that you had to do any strategies in order to put yourself in that position yeah i mean i think the number one thing that i would do is breathe breathe or meditate you know those are certainly practices that that i still you know I, like anybody, I, I, there's times I'm better at it and I practice more often than there's times I'm not. For me, I always would come back to my breath, like breathing and focus on my breath and just kind of, you know, re-, re When you're on the field? Uh, re or... Recenter me. Oh, I, I absolutely would do it on the field. TV timeout, sitting on the bench, um, pregame, before games. Um, absolutely. And uh, I think that was probably the tool I used the most as far as like a tangible tool. For me, though, it was just kind of always practicing being present you know I, that was for me anytime you feel yourself wander um it was about okay i'm wandering confront it and, and, and get back and, and again my breath usually was something i could go to that would help me with that um i think confronting that is the bit the first step though you always got to realize okay i'm and Admitting it's, it's human and it's yeah. and it well it's human i think that's the other thing like it's human it's not this isn't something um again, that you got to a point, like I'd been in a locker room long enough, like everybody deals with these things, right? At heightened challenges, here we are, we're playing in a playoff game or something, or a huge division game, national TV, Monday night football, right? These, this heightened emotion and stress, what does it do to you, right? Again, and for me, it was about embracing it 
and confronting it versus, versus shying away in those moments. And I think that also always helped me um, focus and lock in um, even more, right? Like, yeah, Monday Night Football, we're playing Peyton Manning and the Broncos. This, yeah, this is hard and this is amazing. And again, like, you're not going to get to do this forever. And, uh, you know, determined with all of that, the bright lights uh, that can you can't, and the challenge of that, right? Can you go out there and, and lock in? Um, and I think that for me, even as I step away from football, that it's still, I still use it like anything I want to go do. If I set goals um, and try to reach something, it certainly really helped me with my, my leg and my recovery. Um, how do you go do hard things or achieve hard things or overcome adversity? How much, because you'd been through so much in your career, even, I mean, one, starting at such a young age, which is is unfair in a lot of ways right you're just you're just sort of not mentally emotionally ready for no, this whole no, thing absolutely not yeah and nobody had told you you were great until they told you you were great and then all of a sudden oh now i'm great i didn't realize i was great okay thank you now how do i act now that i'm great and how much did you help your teammates having had all of this experience to be able to say we do need to be in the moment. We, it's a huge moment, but we need to be who we, we are. We need to settle in. We Because you know, they talk about football as the sport where everything speeds up. And yep. when it speeds up, then you're in big trouble. How do you yep, slow it down? Sure. Well, I think exactly that. You just said it. I mean, it speeds up. It speeds up in your head. And it speeds up because, again, you're distracted. And I think we've all, every person out there, and it happens for me on the football field because there really are, obviously, I'm a, I'm a living example. There's real consequences of playing this physical game, right? These are some of the biggest, baddest dudes in the world trying to get you. So it, it is a mechanism to force you to lock in. And, and for me, when you're playing the best, and, I, and probably everybody's had this, this feeling out there when time slows down, right? When, when things, it's, it, things are almost in slow motion and your mind is working so fast and processing so well, and you're so locked in that like, Man, I remember coming back to the sideline. They're like, you know, you made a great play. And they're like, what'd you see there? And I'm like, well, you know, at the snap, I saw the cornerback back up over here. Then I snapped the ball and the safety came down. Boom, I saw Tyreek running this. And I hit, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that, well, then you watch that real time. You're like, well, that all happened in half a second. You know, but on the field, in the moment, when you're locked in, that, that, that happens slow. Like that. And I do think it comes from, and this is something that absolutely, once I had become far more self-assured and, you know, comfortable in my own skin, knowing that my best was good enough right uh, and yeah. for me and for me echoing that to my teammates became a priority and i would do it all the time and oftentimes i was talking to myself just as much as them as these young guys but like you don't need to do anything extra right like there's nothing superhuman you need to go do today as we're getting ready to go play this game like you just need to go do your job and again even kind of coming back to how coach harbaugh helped flip that for me like that's what i i tried to echo like and and embrace being yourself right like you're here to you be yourself um even your style of leadership your personality like embrace that um and again for me it was also great with coach reed he really kind of embodied that too you know letting your personality show don't try to be anybody else um and i think if we all do that collectively right and we're all locked in we got a better chance of success you know and and again also i think obviously it, reinforcing the, the embrace it right like how special it is we get to go run out of this tunnel and do this you know and like like flip that because I could feel like younger guys carrying weight you know obviously I knew it all too well and so for me oftentimes talking to those guys yeah like flip it man this is this is amazing like, it, 
go out there and cut it loose. Like be in the moment. It's hard. This is a hard thing we're trying to do. And, and isn't it amazing? You know? Uh, so yeah, that kind of became certainly, uh, and still is right. Like that's something I firmly believe in and, and, and leadership, I think falls in that bucket as well, because there's this so oftentimes when you're young and insecure, you like this false idea of what leadership is, right? Like it's some fake speech or it's some, um, rah, rah thing, or you got to speak up or you got to call a guy out or a teammate out, you know? And I couldn't disagree more. Um, this goes to the Patrick thing, like people, and even the cat thing, people want to talk about mentoring, you know, for me, mentoring, like mentoring wasn't anything I like told those guys. It wasn't like I like wisdom in the film room that I was just like, yeah, here's the secret to playing quarterback. Like, that's not how it is. It was really more about me. <clears throat> the example I set, right? Like, how did I go about doing my job? And then those guys getting to witness that up close, right, right next to me, I think was far more powerful than anything I could have said to these guys. And we were teammates, right? Like ne neither of, you know, Cap, Pat, or me didn't, we didn't put, we didn't get to put ourselves in those situations, right? Like we were just, the team controls that. And you're just kind of obviously, um, you're kind of, you're a part of it, right? And so um, for me, again, it was about doing my job to the best of my abilities. And I was on my own track and, and Pat and Colin were on their tracks and ours, those tracks weren't conflicting as much as the media would try to like, say that right I had my path they, like they were almost more parallel like I'm trying to reach my potential and if I play well right like and I'm focused like it doesn't matter what those guys do right like I'm gonna have a job and so um yeah it was kind of uh I think all those things for me really they, 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 they all were part of the same the same like, well it's interesting you say that because you because earlier you were talking about how all these things happen in a half a second and yeah. you saw you saw what happened in that half a second, but you saw what happened in that half a second based on all the work that you'd done in the film room, all of because you were prepared for it. I and mean, football is one of the one of the hardest sports in that your windows of opportunity are so absolutely tiny yep. that it's like, okay, boom, boom, timing, everything looks, and then everything looks great when the timing works. And when the timing doesn't work, things look really bad. But the other thing you talked about was the uh, the sense of like, you're up against the biggest, baddest people in the world. Like you guys are some of the, the freakiest of freaky athletes where you get these guys who are 300 pounds who are running like four, eight forties. And like, that's, you're not supposed to be able to do that. Yeah. You know that they're as fast as you are, or potentially faster than you are. I remember. I mean, I'm I'm from Massachusetts, so so I apologize. But I remember at one point there was uh, Vince Wil Wilfork kept uh, kept trying to get Brady to race him in a forty, and Brady's like, uh uh, I'm not going to do it. You know, because I don't think that Brady would have beaten Wilfork in a forty, so it wouldn't have looked good for him. But this is what you're up against. How do you? As the quarterback, knowing that you have your three seconds or whatever it is, or you've got to get it out in 1.7 or whatever it is, how do you, how do you know, how, how do you allow yourself that time to perform knowing that, that this like avalanche of human body is, is coming yeah. at you? Well, yeah, that became, that, that is the test, right? Like that's the challenge. And that's what it became for me that, especially as a quarterback, because you know, if, if you play left tackle, you go study their right defensive end all week, 
right? You're really just looking at the defensive end. What kind of moves does he use? What kind of player is he? And you're prepping all week for that, right? And if you're a receiver, you're just looking at their corners, right? Like what kind of players are they? What kind of technique do they use? What do they do? Well, when you're a quarterback, I'm getting ready for all 11, right? Like I don't go against any one of them. I'm looking at their D-line, their linebackers, their corners, their, their safeties. And, and then you're I'm 11 also, too, right? Yeah, and how weak and we, we – yeah, and our matchups. But then I'm also looking at their scheme, right? Well, what kind of – what's their defensive coordinator do? What kind of defenses do they run? What kind of – is it cover two? Is it man? Is it three? Are they heavy pressure? Are they not very much pressure? And I have to – I have – you're, you're, you're really weighing all of that in right? And then you have your game plan that week that you're putting together all week and, and you go install. And the challenge is, especially as a quarterback, whatever your physical gifts are, but you're going to go out there and you're going to win up here first, right? Like, you like if you can't win up here, you don't have a chance. I don't care if you're doing it with your legs, your arm, or both. Um, and so that becomes the number one challenge, right? Like that within that three seconds approximately, Right. Like I'm going to get you guys. I'm going to get us in the right play. I'm going to make the right decision. I'm going to make the right read. You know, I'm going to make the right check at the line of scrimmage. If I see this, boom, I'm countering it with this. And that becomes, you know, a little bit like that. That is the right. That, that, that's the counter. Like, yeah, you guys are big and bad, but I'm going to get you like too. I'm, I'm going to make the quicker decision, the better decision, the, the more accurate pass. Right. And I'm going to, you know, it's going to be too much. It's going to beat you, right? And I, you think about the greatest of all time, Tom Brady. It's not even close. Uh, I mean, it's the guy that got drafted in the sixth round. Like, again, he couldn't race Vince Wilfork. Uh, he's, you know, he's from a, from a physical gift standpoint, there is no anomaly. There's guys with bigger arms, stronger arms, faster, quicker, right? Like, but, I mean, it's up here, right? He's going to get you. He's going to get you more consistently. And he's going to make the better decision, the better path. Like, you know, like, and I think that becomes what you rely on. And that's what the challenge is as a quarterback. And that's what you study all week for and dialed in, like on Tuesday's film session. That's why you're so present in it because you have to digest it and you have to prep for all those what ifs, right? Like all those contingencies. Like, God, if they call this play and bring this pressure on defense, like I got to get to this. And, and so that's what you're working for all week. So that in that moment, in those, you know, half a second at the line of scrimmage that it does slow down that you saw it coming you you saw the signs and you counter you countered it with this and and uh that i mean like that becomes the best feeling right i mean that becomes you holding up your hand you did your job and and uh that's the chess match especially playing quarterback performing with all this chaos around you i mean there's yeah just, but yes, yes. That you've, that you've hopefully, you again, you're so locked in. You're the horse with, like, blinders, right? Like, crowd, noise. And if it is there, you're embracing it, right? That energy again. Like, when you do want it. Like, yeah, in a big moment. Like, again, how special this is. Like, how many people get to do this? But also, for the most part, when you go out there, that you're not, you're not riding the roller coaster as a quarterback, right? Like, the ups and downs. That you've blocked that out. Um, at home, at home with the, the crowd at your back or on the road in a hostile environment with them cheering against you, you can, you can block all that out because you're so locked in. Sometimes they do get to you, though. Of course. Yeah. And when, when you were in Washington, they most assuredly got to you. Do you remember yep. that moment? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, 
Absolutely. It was a third down. It was a big play in the game. And I remember it really well. They, they were in a pressure look. So this goes to this exact same scenario. They were in a pressure look. And all week we had talked about it. We get this look. I'm going to come up and make a protection adjustment. I'm going to slide the line one way. You know, running back's going to come over the other. We make this adjustment at the line. And obviously it's football, right? No one's perfect. And mistakes happen. And all of a sudden, I remember feeling two free rushers. There was a, you know, their, their, their DB who had come off the, the edge to the right. And then we, JJ Watt, had, had also broken free. And so for me, really kind of even in that moment, when you're a quarterback and we try to choreograph as much as possible, we talked about it. Part of football is very choreographed. Part of it is obviously complete chaos. And that's what makes it great. Well, there's times as a quarterback when you're trying to, oh, I got to break out of a sack and make a play or scramble and throw and, you know, go or maybe make a play with my feet. And then there's times you just concede a sack. And like, for me, I remember distinctly thinking like, just protect the football, right? Like that's all I was thinking. Like, I'm not getting out of this kind of cornered from both sides and just, just protect the football and go down. And, you know, I, I feel like I've been hit harder or worse, you know, a thousand different times compared to this, but for whatever reason in that moment, yeah, I remember my leg, the f- a funny feeling in my leg, a leg. I've, I mean, a feeling I'd never felt before. Um, and, you know, immediately rolling over on the ground and, and the visual confirmation of obviously my legs bending where it should. And yeah, knew, knew immediately that I had broke my leg. Um, That's the like weird part about the pain, isn't it? That the pain doesn't come immediately. You sort of assume no. that it no. does, but it's like, okay, this is, oh, that looks weird. Is is yes. that when you got the rush of like, uh-oh, I'm in big trouble now? Yeah, it was no, I would call it almost no pain at first when it happened, you're in such shock, yep, and then to roll over. I mean, I even grabbed my leg and like tried to semi-straighten it, like her um you're just in such shock i i knew immediately my leg was broken i knew obviously it was a decent break um i was completely naive to the complexities of the situation though at that moment like uh, you hear about broken bones all the time it's football um i've had you know hundreds of teammates break bones and hey they're out a couple months and they come back usually you know like we have the best doctors in the world they're going to put us together and I remember thinking that my season was over because we were kind of headed into the back half of the season. Uh, but other than that, no, I remember thinking I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be right back at it. I'm going to be back at it spring ball uh, in, in, you know, in six months and I'll be right back to where I was. Cause again, I felt like I was still just descending, you know, from my career standpoint, I'll get right back to it and obviously get on the car, you get air casted. And certainly that's when the pain set in and, you know, I got rushed to emergency surgery and, you know, life, life obviously changed for me forever uh, that day. Well, in some ways, though, right, because the thing is, when you talk about it, it's broken bones, it's part of the game. This is part of the job. You, you, you're, you're dealing with your job. Your job is a crazy job. Not everybody can do it. And that's part of what's really cool about yep. you being able to do this job. You went into surgery, but then the next day you were you were upright, weren't you? The next oh, yeah. Day. Oh, yeah. 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 So you upright, had surgery upright. walking with, with a walker, yeah, right? Yeah. I had, I had emergency surgery, I had three plates put in a bunch of screws and, and woke up the next morning. Yeah. The surgery had gone well. My leg was aligned and I needed to stay a couple of nights um, for them to watch me and observe me before I could leave. And I had to be able to prove that I could get around on crutches. You know, they, there's kind of these protocols to make you mean, like I got to be able to prove that around the house. So yeah, there's like a PT there and I got to go do this stuff. 
but yeah, I'm fully focused on, it was kind of right before Thanksgiving and I'm like, you know, I want to get home and uh, my family's in town. I want to get out of the hospital, um, you know, eat some good food, get, you know, and start, start this recovery thing. And, you know, obviously a couple of nights in the hospital turned into a month in the hospital. And, and once the infection set in and, you know, obviously he was in for a bit of a, a, a roller coaster. Uh, but yeah, those, that day after the day, day and a half after the surgery, no, I was looking forward to going home, getting out of there and, and, uh, you know, on the mend. It's amazing. Cause in some ways it was like, that was the cost of doing business, right? Cause yep. you, you, you're in this business, you break a bone. Okay. Yep. That's the deal. Yep. Now let's see how well you can recover from, or broke a couple of bones and broke them yep. really badly, but at the same time, broken bones. And then the infection happens. So for me, I, I broke my back and the only day that I cried in the hospital was I had a, I had a urinary tract infection. I was transferred from one hospital to another. My, my temperature spiked to like 103, 104. I got there. I just wanted to go to sleep. They packed me in cold compresses. They wouldn't give me a blanket and kept me awake and all of this stuff. And my mother was there. And it was the only day that I cried. I said to her, I don't want to be like this forever. And it was that loss of control for you. Was, was there that similar, like with the broken bone, it's almost like, Hey, I still have control of what's going on. This gets to be rehab. This gets to be weight room. This gets to be stuff that I can understand, but yep. then the infection hits you and it's like, I don't understand. I might lose my leg. There are these blisters. You said that you didn't want to look at it. Yeah, so exactly. I mean, I feel like those couple of days, you know, I'm getting around on crutches. I'm in the hospital. Life is great. I'm in that frame of mind you just talked about. Like, I'm in control. And uh, the last thing I remember, the like, the last consciousness that I remember is my, my fever spiked. Um, I went into septic shock and, and blood pressure dropped and all these things. And I remember kind of the blur of, you know, nurses and doctors coming in and out. They're trying to figure out what's going on. They thought it like, they thought it was coming from my catheter. They thought like all these other things, where's the infection coming from? They're trying to figure it out. They don't know. And the last thing I remember is when they finally came back in, they looked at my leg a few hours earlier. It looked normal. They unwrapped my leg and it was black you know, the entire front of my shin was black and from the infection, from what had become the necrotizing fasciitis, you know, the flesh eating bacteria. And I remember the alarm on their faces. Right. And that's kind of the last thing I remember. And I got rushed into another immediate uh, emergency surgery. And I went into, I had surgeries for like the next eight days in a row. And then every other day after that for a few days. And when you're under anesthesia, that many that many consecutive days, like you, you don't remember anything. So for me, the next almost two weeks are just a fog. And the next thing I remember is kind of coming to, you know, almost two weeks later, uh, with the team of doctors in front of me and a bunch of doctors now that I don't recognize. Um, and my wife, and they're explaining to me what happened, you know, that this crazy infection set in, they had to go cut off. They, you know, when, when necrotizing fasciitis comes in, they, they don't, that tissue is not coming back to life. So they just start cutting it out. And so they, you essentially just start cutting off your leg piece by piece. And 
the next day there's still more. So they cut out more and they're just so terrified that it's going to spread. And cause it is so quick spreading. Um, your, your, your leg, looking at this, like, I mean, I, I, I looked at the photos, I watched some of the videos, like your leg looked like the leg of a cadaver. It yeah, looked yeah. like, like I went to see that, that body display where they did yeah. all the bodies and all the, you know, you see, so you see all the muscles and like, that's what you saw. That's not what you're supposed to see on the no, leg of, no. a, of a healthy human being. So, you know, after the, the two weeks they'd removed, you know, essentially it amputated half my leg, you know, the front half of my leg was gone. And I'm not talking about just skin, the muscles, the tendons, um, gone and not coming back. And then, oh yeah, I also have this crazy gnarly break, right? The, the bone is still broken. Um, all that hardware has got to come out because it was present during the infection. So we're kind of starting over from ground zero here. You're missing half your leg and you have this horrible break. And that's where the reality, I, that's what I wake up to. And, and certainly a bunch of opinions in the room are, I, this isn't salvageable. Like your leg's not salvageable. Um, the outcome, it, it, it's going to be a crazy long road at best. Nothing's guaranteed. And, and probably the best decision is to cut your leg off. You know, we should amputate this and you can move on with your life. Um, so that you stay alive, really. Yeah, I mean, and at this one, point, right? yeah. Also, yeah, they finally got my, you know, got the infection under control. They felt like they had stopped it. Um, they got me on several different antibiotics at this point that they felt like had got the infection under control. So they felt like, yes, that, you know, the quasi have obviously saved my life and sit, try to save my leg. And obviously they, you know, if they had to, they were going to cut my leg off. Um, thankfully they caught it in time and got it under control. But now I'm here, I'm, I wake up to this reality. And so that some doctors are still saying we should amputate. Um, and then there, you know, there's some doctors that are saying they can save it. And particularly the, the plastic surgeon in the room, shout out to Dr. Meehan. Uh, so he listens to this. Uh, and he was the guy that really swayed me the most, you know, he, his confidence that he could save my leg, but it was scary. He's talking about, you know, Frankensteining parts of my body. He's like, I'm probably gonna have to take your lat muscle or, or your quad muscle or a muscle from here. And we're going to move them down and put them down on your lower leg. And we hope they take, we don't know, you know, if, if your leg muscle doesn't take, well, then we'll take one from your back. And then if that doesn't take, we'll take this. And now I'm like, I'm like, wait, hold on. You're going to start removing like I got good parts of my body and you're going to, you're going to start taking parts of those, you know, and I'm freaking me out. I'm, I'm hearing all this medical jargon that I don't, you know, I don't know free flaps and all, what is that? Uh, but he was confident he could save it. And, uh, you know, I, I elected to, and it was this, this series of procedures called limb salvage, you know, where there was this, it was going to be a long road. It was going to be years in, in this process to try and save my leg, but he thought he could do it. And I elected to do it. The outcome at that point, certainly the prognosis wasn't looking great. It was maybe stand, you know, stand again, walk. That was, that was it. I, I mean, we weren't talking, there was no football talk or play, go do sports. Uh, you know, so for me, I thought that part of my life was over. I serious doubts about what I'd ever be able to do again. I'm never gonna be able to ski. I'm never gonna be able to golf. I'm never gonna be able to hike. I'm never gonna be able to do play with my kids, chase after them. Um, you know, I, I never thought, I thought that was gone uh, forever. The impossible part of the, of the recovery, like looking at it and saying, okay, you got out of that point and then said, I'm going to, I'm going to play football again. And football is the, football is the ultimate, I will run through the wall to make this happen. 
and, and people are willing to sacrifice their bodies. I mean, what like average career is three years. Yeah. Yeah. And, but you, you were different, right? You, I mean, you 16 year career, you were a quarterback, you had, you had guranteed money. Yeah. How, how did that work? Like the impossibility of the recovery, the willingness to sacrifice everything, to still sacrifice everything when you'd achieved some security, what was the thing, what was the driving force for you that said, yes, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to run through the wall. I think of like the, uh, I'm going to give you two Riggins things right now. So Riggins from, from Friday night lights, right. Who sits there and, and the coach is doing the, the, the clear eyes, full hearts can't lose kind of thing. And and his, his foot's just going right. Going the whole time. It's the uncoiled spring, like ready, ready to go. And then, and then there's the John Riggins who, when he and Theismann were inducted into the ring of honor, Theismann's out there at midfield in the suit waiting for everything to happen. And John Riggins came running out in full uniform and said, I didn't think I'd ever hear this again. Yeah. Like what's the, what's the thing for you that you went, this is why I have to do this. Yeah. I think for me, it's when I woke up again and, and these doctors are talking about cutting off my leg and, and all over that span for them, that happened over two weeks for me and my like consciousness that happened overnight. Right. Like the last thing I remember was, you know, I'm going home, I'm still in control of my life and my career. And then I wake up to, yeah, well, we're going to cut your leg off. Your life was in jeopardy. Your leg's still in jeopardy. Um, and you know, you probably are never going to, you know, maybe you walk again, maybe at best if this goes well uh you know there were no guarantees and so for me all of a sudden it was just like well how how did we get here like I was playing football how did how did this happen um and then I just I just went down the spiral of like being stuck in the rearview mirror of my life like thinking that the best part of my life was was over right like everything that had happened like my life was over and I just I would replay these things that I had done in my life you know, physically with my body that I'm like, well, I'm never going to be able to do that again. I'm never going to be able to do that again. Um, and again, like even, and then I got, I have young kids. I had dreamed about the rest of my life with my family, the things we're going to go do, you know, with football, you put off a lot and sacrifice a lot, but you know, you know, again, like, well, I'm retired. I'm going to be 36. I have all these years to go do these things. And like, well, then I was like, for me, it was like, well, I'm not gonna be able to do them. It's gone. It got taken from me. And I really went down in the spiral, stuck in a wheelchair. I couldn't walk. I had this metal cage bolted into my leg. I'm having all these procedures done, you know, flaps and skin grafts. And um, there were no, no one had gone through this before. So there were no, there were no athletes for me to look to that had overcome something like this. Um, and again, I'm just really thinking I'm, I'm, I'm well, like wallowing. Theismann Wall- never played again, right? Yeah. It, it ended his career and he obviously didn't have the infection and it, yeah, this, this had, this was career ending. And, and regardless of that, for me, it was more about my life. Like I just, for me, it was about images, like just doing things with my kids and my wife and everyday life things that I'd never be able to do again. And I'm just kind of wallowing in this self-pity and I'm stuck in the rear view mirror of my life. I'm just, again, I'm just looking backwards at these things I'll never be able to do again. And I go down, I got this clearance to go down and, and, to the center for the intrepid this military rehabilitation center i got access i got you know granted this permission to go down and do some of my rehab because they were kind of the experts at this and um 
I couldn't even look at my leg at that time. I, cause I didn't, again, I didn't want to confront what had happened to me. I didn't want to, I didn't want to think this was a reality. I, I would wake up every day kind of hoping it was a bad dream. And, and again, no, it really wasn't, you know, every day that was a process for me and I'm again, not wanting to deal with it. And, uh, I get down to this military center and, and obviously, which is incredibly humbling our service, you know, servicemen and women that had really sacrificed life and limb and were horrible, you know, way, you know, double amputees, triple amputees, burn victims, you know, a lot of, a lot of servicemen and women with similar injuries to mine and they're moving forward with their life, right? Like they're, they're moving forward. They're, they're confronting their injury and moving forward with their life. And I couldn't have been in a more, a, a different headspace, a different mental space. What was right? their reaction to you? Cause you're coming in as this NFL star. Yeah. Yeah. They're probably, I mean, they're, they're like, hey, Alex, will you, will you sign an autograph for me? Will you do this? Yeah. Will you do that? I mean, you were at the yeah. exalted status, I would imagine there. Yeah, for sure. Here's this professional quarterback coming in and rehabbing with them. And it was also the first place, though, like I had a connection. I no, When I would go in for my doctor's visits and, and around the hospital, I'd never seen anybody with the contraption I was wearing. I'd never seen anybody with a leg like that had gone through what I had gone through. And all of a sudden I go down there and I'm like, you know, a bunch of the guys are like, oh, I just got mine taken off. Or like, you know, there was such a, a connection on what I was going through and they had gone through it and 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 had moved beyond it. And I remember even thinking like, well, how do you how do you get there? How did you get there with your leg? Right. Like these guys were walking around in shorts, like just o- owning their leg. And I'm like, uh-uh, our mind's wrapped up. Hey, I'm I'm hiding this thing. And all these scars uh, and yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so but it was, again, that example, right? It's not anything they said to me. It was more of that example of how they were living their life, how they were confronting it, that it was really the place, as scary as it was for me, that I I said out loud, like, I want to go try and play football again. And I said it, to, there were two big things. I said it really just because I knew if I could get close to it, like, the, the rest of my life would be better. It wasn't necessarily just about football, but it, it also was the challenge of it, and it was about not being scared to fail. Right. Like I, I wasn't scared if I said this and I didn't achieve it. I didn't care. Like I wanted to go try. I, I, I like it, they helped me confront what had happened and help again to like turn my view forward and, and, and like, let's go see what I can do. I want to go figure out what I can do. I'm not scared to try. I don't know where the road's going to end and I want to go find out. And uh, hold on one second, really because yeah. you also you started talking about like you wanted to be able to like you, you were worried you lost the time with your kids you were you were not going to be able to play with your kids but then if you recovered and you played football then you might be back in that situation you might have recovered and then lost that thing that you were hoping to get with your kids well so for me I, I mean I when I said it I didn't fully even think it was possible right I mean it was so far away I couldn't even walk I couldn't stand um and the prognosis was so bad like I think everybody was kind of encouraging you know because it's like hey go sure go try that you know um and so I thought the road would end for me far before then but I really wanted to pursue and see where where it went I wanted to see what I had left right like I I I wanted to go find out I wasn't scared to to fail or or wherever that that road did stop right like I, I I wanted to find out and um was this a greater commitment than you'd ever had? Oh yeah. In sport? Yeah. Without a doubt. The scariest thing I've ever done. 
this just absolutely terrifying, terrifying to say it, by the way, I, which I, I'd, I'd elected to document this thing on ESPN, which was terrifying as well. Right. I hear I'm going to open myself up. I'm incredibly vulnerable. This is not looking good at all. Like, I mean, it, you know, like again, amputation was on the table for over a year almost, you know, like where they're like, nothing was guaranteed. Like I, I was just so scared of all these things again. And I, I think to move past your fear, like to confront it and move past it, it was hard. Um, and so, yeah, I want to go play football again, but I, I didn't think I'd ever really get there, but I thought it would help me get my life back. Um, How did you would, measure you know, your success sort of like daily, right? Cause yeah. it was such so that's, a big yeah. deal. I'm glad you said that. Cause I think for me, that goes back to all this. Like I, yeah, I put it out there that I want to play football, but after that, like I didn't, I wasn't sitting in a wheelchair, like thinking I'm going to play football. Like when I'm bolted into this thing, like I, I didn't, I think that would have been discouraging. You know, for me, it was all about baby steps. It was like, well, okay, what do I, what can I do right now? Like, what can I do today in my PT? You know, and like that, that's what like, I focused on. It was like, okay, well, I, whatever that was, like I, I, I had, I really kind of, again, put my blinders on. It was like, well, what, what do I need to accomplish here? Right. Like I got to get stronger or I got to heal. And then once I did that, it was like, okay, well, what's next? Like, okay, well, I got to try and stand. And I, that's all I focused on was trying to do that. And I didn't focus on anything else. And if I achieved that small step, I, you know, there was obviously a quick, uh, you know, celebratory, you know, for me, like, I think those small little victories were important. And then it was like, okay, well, then I turned my attention to what, what's next. And it was always kind of a what's next mentality, right? Like, I always was trying to just stay right in front of me, like, what's the next step, and trying to figure it out. And then once I got it, okay, well, what's next? And I didn't really look up. Um, this is the being in the moment thing. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Is... Yeah, for almost two years, I did that. And I, and it, it got to the point where I, it was crazy enough that I was lacing cleats up and putting a helmet on. And that was, I never thought I would get there. Um, and that, those final steps were the scariest because like, here I am, I'm going to intentionally run back out there. Again, like I said, I kind of got my life back. Like you just said it, like as, as I got, I neared the end, it, it was like, well, I, I can go run around with my kids now, you know? Like, yeah, there's an adjustment and I have to adapt every day, but I can go do that. And I'm confident that I can. And now I'm going to intend, I've been working for this for two years and I, here I am. The next step is the white, that white line, right? Like running out there and I'm going to go do this. This is nuts. Um, what, what was it? Was it that you said you were going to do it? Was it, was it like being a quarterback and, and proving that, you know, I mean, you're the guy with the red Jersey during practice that you've got to prove that you're as tough as the rest of the guys or tougher no, or how, what, what no, is it? No, I was terrified. I was scared. I was absolutely scared. Uh, no, I think it came down to a couple of things. The experts had given me clearance. Right, like the, the people that really knew the team of doctors, the military doctors, my team of surgeons there in DC, like the best of the best, it said you can go do this if you want to. So for me, it was about then, yeah, that voice in my head is like, God, what if, what if it, what if your leg does break? What if it doesn't hold up? What if you go out there and make a fool of yourself? Like what, like again, that self doubt that creeps in, um, and there was a lot of it in that moment for me. Um, was I going to be controlled by that? 
I, I think that fear, that self-doubt, like, was that going to control me? Or again, could I, could I block that out? Right. Like lock in on, on the facts, on what I, you know, and, and, uh, the truth and like, could I go do this? Right. And, and so for me, that kind of became, you know, I, I thought a lot about regret, like in that moment, like, sure. If I walked off and just lived the rest of my life, um, I'm sure I could have, but here I'd been working towards this thing and, and I never thought I'd ever get it back. And this opportunity was in front of me. And was I going to turn my back on it as scared as I was, you know, like, was I going to turn my back on it? Or again, could I block that out and not be controlled by it and go again, I'd been given, um, given the green light by, by the specialists. And I was going to go ahead, go ahead with that. I was going to take that next step, you know? And, and so for me, it was about that, not being controlled by fear not being controlled by that voice in my head that uh, I battled obviously over the course of my career um, all the time. And so, yeah, I was determined to, in, to not, to not fall victim to that, you know, everything that I had learned leading up to that in that moment, I think really helped me make that decision. They told you, the specialist told you that you were okay, that you were medically cleared to go play football again. Your body could handle it as much as anybody's body can handle it yeah when for you did you say okay i'm okay is it like because that's your plant leg right i mean you're going yeah, back it's my back leg you plant and 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 you throw it, yeah. is it planting is it running is it changing directions when did you say okay i think i'm okay there were a couple of different stages to that there was the first one as far as just could i even move again right i have permanent drop foot i have a bunch of tendons and muscles missing in my lower leg. So my foot function and foot control uh, was never going to be what it was, right? And could I go run? Like drop foot used to be career ending, yeah. you know, like you can go play with drop foot. And for me, kind of once I felt like on the practice field or even on my own throwing routes that like, okay, I can drop back and throw. I think I can do that. Now, can I, can I, yeah, can I, do I have any change of direction? Can I run and sprint and cut? And trying to figure that out in a in a controlled environment. Um, and then in training camp, it was kind of like, okay, well, now can I do this with eleven guys around me, and you know, eleven guys on defense? Can I be on time? And, yeah, exactly. Can I do this? And you know, and all this being said, I'm not getting tackled yet, right? Like I, I in practice, I wear a bright yellow jersey. No one can touch me. So they're they're they begin to have some confidence there that like, well, I can do that. I can throw on time. I can move a little bit and, and, and protect myself. Um, and I could kind of operate. Yeah, it's different. And again, I'm adapting, but I can operate uh, from a, as a quarterback. And the big looming one still was this getting tackled. And there was no preseason that year because of COVID. And so when I first ran out on that field, like the last big hurdle of, is my leg going to hold up? I did in front of the country and, you know, and it was terrifying. I didn't get to do it in a you know, a closed environment, a safe place. Like, no, I'm running back out onto the field. I'm, I happen to be playing the number one defense in the NFL with the, the defensive MVP that year, Aaron Donald. Like, uh, I'm going through that, this entire process mentally and physically in front of every, everybody. And that was really the last one for me. Getting hit, I ended up, it was a disaster. It started raining. I got sacked like six times or something. It was a disaster. However, I was so frustrated after it, but 
for me, it really allowed me to move beyond my leg at that point. Like at that, that was like ripping the bandaid off. Like that was the final breaking down the last wall. I never, I didn't think about my leg moving forward. I ended up starting six games after that, that I really played incredibly free. Um, you know, I know everybody around me, my friends and family, everybody was worried about me out there. But for me, again, I, this had been taken from me. I never thought I'd have it back. And here I was playing football again at the NFL level. And I was determined to be in the moment and make the most of this. I knew it wasn't going to last much longer um, and determined to enjoy, to enjoy every single minute of it and to cut it loose and to end my career in that space where I, I was out there again, like playing for my teammates, playing for myself, um, so locked into to every moment. I couldn't care less about making a mistake. You know, I didn't care what they were going to write about me in the paper. Like I didn't, you know, any of that, like that couldn't have been the furthest thing from my mind. And so for me to end my career in such a different place than how I started it and to really kind of come, you know, full circle uh, was incredibly gratifying. And I think what really allowed me again after that season to retire and walk away is because this, again, this was always bigger than football. It was more than football. Um, I'd accomplished that and it had given, it had, you know, not the, not the physical journey, although that's obviously part of it, but it was far more just the mental journey of like being comfortable with what the rest of my life looks like. And I'm, I'm excited about it, you know, um, it's, you know, for me waking up every day, like, I don't, I don't remember what it was like not to have drop foot, you know, for me, it's weird. Like, I don't, you know, I don't, um, dealing with these, you know, my leg, like, and again, like bearing those scars, like I am, pr I'm proud of my leg. I'm proud of what it can do. Um, what it's been through. Um, and that's such a, you know, to, for me, that's the most fulfilling thing looking back on the journey is that mental journey. It, it's interesting. Cause I mean, the, the physical scars you talk about the, the mental scars as well. I mean, this has been a journey where, yeah, you've been scarred along the way and, and, and that's, that's representative of who you are today and what you brought to the game, what you bring to your family, what you bring to the world. It's interesting some of the things that you talk about too when it comes into when it comes into focus in some ways because that that first game was during COVID, right? So you played yeah. in front of almost no one in the yep. stands. I mean, like you probably had played hadn't played in front of that few people since you were like eight years old or something. Like freshman that. freshman football, yep, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So all of a sudden, but the frustration was the thing in some ways that, that crystallized, which is the thing that as an athlete, it's like, well, don't give in to the frustration, like, like keep moving forward. But that frustration is like, no, this is real now. This is, yeah. this is real. This is the sport. It's not about all that extraneous stuff, all the worry. It's about, I'm frustrated about the way that I played. I'm frustrated that I got sacked. I'm frustrated about this. Moving forward, I mean, it's, it's, it's been so cool to hear your journey and to hear the arc of your journey. What, what do you, what do you like with your kids? What, what, what's the story that you tell them? What, what, what's your story? What's the story of your scars that, yeah. that your kids take away? Yeah, again, I mean, that's funny. I, I think I've learned a lot about parenting as well. And I would be lying if I said that didn't greatly impact my career and growth as a person too. I mean, I think becoming a father was life-changing. Um, for me, it comes back to, again, I go, you know, I talked about mentoring Pat and Colin and it, it's not so much what you say, it's, it's how you live your life and how I was going about my job, right? I, it, if I just went about my job in the right way and I had the right mindset, like that was the best example and gift I could give those guys. 
And it's funny that it was obviously most beneficial to me too. Like those aren't, again, those are not mutually exclusive. And so uh, being a parent and a dad for me really is the same thing, right? It's how I go about my life, um, how I treat people, uh, the things that are important to me, um, how I handle adversity, right? I, I think those things are the best example for my kids. It's not so much things that I'm imparting on them. Obviously, we talk all the time, but but really, I think the, the best thing I can do is is it's how I live my life, right? Like how I tackle things, how I go about every single day. Um, Are you held to a higher standard now than you were as the number one pick in the NFL? Oh, it's far more meaningful. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Right. Like, I mean, I got three young kids that, that are incredibly impressionable and I'm lucky enough. They're at fun ages. They still think I'm kind of cool. Um, so, but yeah, like that, absolutely. And, uh, but again, I do think it comes back to just, it's the same principles, right? Like being focused on the here and now, right? When you do wander or you do have doubt, like bringing yourself back um, in the moment. And, and again, uh, I think embracing those things, right? Like embracing the challenge of it. It is. And obviously family is so important to you, but your foundation works with foster kids, helping them transition, giving them the tools and the resources to transition into adult life. How did you come about working with foster kids? Yeah, I mean, for me, it wasn't, it was shortly after I got drafted and I was 20, 21 years old. And I started uh, to get exposed and learn a little bit about what happened to foster youth, especially uh, teenage foster kids as they emancipate the system is what it's called. And back then when, when you turned 18 and you were a foster kid, all government assistance basically ended. And you were kind of a lot of times dropped off at the shelter with your belongings and kind of wish good luck. I remember just thinking how absurd it was that that was in this country, the reality of what we do to these kids, the kids who have been born into an unfortunate situation, no fault of their own. I was lucky enough to be born into a great family, right? Like I, my, my family still supports me. I'm you know, 38 years old. Like I, I, so I remember thinking how unfair it was and how ridiculous it was that we expected anything. Like, I couldn't imagine being 18 and, you know, worried about where I was going to sleep that night and what I was going to eat and how and we're supposed to, you're supposed to have some success there. You're supposed to like, there's supposed to be a positive outcome. Even and if you have a great family. Yeah. Exactly. That if they say, okay, like, this I, is it. You're on yeah, your own. Go I do it. I wouldn't have made it. Yeah. I wouldn't have made it, you know? And uh, so, no, just thinking, you know, and it, how unfair it was. And so for me, again, education was incredibly important to me and still is. And so allowing, trying to build a structure, and allow kids to further their education. Obviously, the outcomes were horrible. About half these kids ever graduate high school. Less than like 2% ever graduate college. And, and, and how do you, right? How do you make it on your own? Um, you just don't. That's the answer. You don't. And so for me, it was about really kind of creating a scholarship program for high school kids and college kids to allow them as much as possible to be normal. To like not have to worry about where they're sleeping. To not have to worry about where their food's coming from. If there are bumps in the road, there's people they can turn to to help them, um, you know, to really kind of create that environment a lot like what I have, right? I mean, I have a great family. I had an athletic scholarship. Like, there was always people for me to turn to to help me get through school, right? Bumps in the road, grade checks, like, the, you know, accountability. And so I think creating that kind of environment um, is something, yeah, and I, again, like, just it's kind of like the draft, like these kids, like they get, you know, they're just unlucky to get born in that situation and how lucky I am. And I'm determined to try and help make a difference. So 
it's something that uh, I love doing. I've, yeah, it's almost been you know 15 plus years now with the foundation and. Um, and this just came you know, out of a the, speaking engagement. Is that how this all started? No, I I had went and I went to a forum and I listened to Antoine Fisher speak, who's a former foster youth. Okay. Um, obviously, his story got turned into a movie, and it, it was here in California, and kind of started to learn the realities again of what this whole emancipation process is for these kids turning eighteen, getting kind of turned to the street. And I was again, I wasn't that many years removed. It was 20, 21, 22. and I remember just thinking like, well, I remember I was there, and I couldn't imagine if that was my reality so uh determined to try and do more you know which is absolutely awesome alex thank you so much for just sharing your story and sharing the insight into i mean you you've done some absolutely amazing things and we on the outside want to figure out how you did them like how you got back onto the field yeah uh these things these things are just mind-boggling to me i mean they're just so cool to hear and you do it so so affably with just a smile and you know and, and yeah. so humbly and and that to me is really cool so so thanks for sharing with us but thanks for being who you are too yeah thank you chris i appreciate it it's it great coming on you know for me i i really do value um when i tell my story just being authentic and again I think that it's not just some crazy triumph, overcome all positivity, you know, like, I just think that's such a, you know, false narrative. And for me, it's about being human and authentic. And these are things that we all deal with and struggle with in life, right? It all, as it comes at us. And, and for me, I, I love, I know the people that provided seeds of hope for me along my journey and helped me through those, those moments and determined to kind of be a link in that chain, you know, because again, it's something that we all go through uh in life so yeah thanks for having me this has been a ton of fun no it was awesome hey i've got to ask one one more quick one just just along that line that you were just talking yeah. about in that uh, was it scarier that first hit after breaking your leg after returning or getting on the ted stage <laughs> uh both equally terrifying public speaking is like you know uh obviously scary and then here you're at ted i'm gonna i'm a football player and i'm speaking at ted um luckily with you know they they you know ted's filmed and they can kind of edit a little bit so that was always a saving grace there wasn't real any editing power running out onto that field with aaron donald you know that's uh, what you see is what you get uh it's easily the scariest thing i've ever done you know mm -hmm. i was just i mean to be to be honest terrified to go out there but ted ted as well uh well that's again i it's so weird to me i never thought i'd speak uh, it's part of what I do in life. And, and again, I do enjoy just being authentic and real and, and uh, you know, the good and the bad. And it was fun to do that at TED as well. Well, you do a great job yeah. of the authentic thing, which is which is a challenge for for everybody in the world. Yeah. So thank you for doing that. We look forward to whatever is coming next. So thanks a ton. And for all of you who've tuned in, we hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, the greatest gift you can do for us is to tell your friends. Tell your friends to tune in that you're going to find great stories. Check out this story. We will come with more and like us, follow us if you can, and we will see you on the next one. Thanks a ton. Yeah. Take care. Thank you for joining us. Please subscribe to Chris Waddell Living It for more stories on the adaptive community, the Paralympics, artists, athletes, entrepreneurs, experts in the experience of being human. Also follow us on Spotify, Apple, Facebook, and Instagram. I look forward to seeing you next week.